Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. How can we get our prayers answered by God? And what are the nine factors in answered prayer? You're listening to the third episode of the prayer series with Dr. Rocky Ramsey. And today we'll look at seven of the nine factors in answered prayer. But first, some opening thoughts on God and prayer. Does God give us everything we ask for? Well, the answer to that is a, is a resounding no. Why or why not? Can we, as some believe, name what we want, claim what we want, and therefore get what we want? Well, if you do that, it might work for you a time or two, but eventually you're going to be real disappointed. It's not going to happen for you. Can God's people obligate God to do something because they've prayed because they've believed or because they've had faith. So since we've done these things, God, you have to answer our prayer now. Well, the answer is no, we don't obligate God. Now, there are three very important things I want you to know today that are not in your outline. First one I mentioned last week, we serve a real God who's given us a real Bible that really works in the real world. It is true and we have to interpret it properly to understand it to be true when it might appear not to be true. Christ followers do not live in some spiritual fantasy. We live in a real world. Number two, we do not interpret the Bible literally. We interpret the Bible accurately. So the Bible uses all kinds of uses of language. Uh, the Bible talks, of, for example, about handling snakes and drinking poison. This is mentioned in Mark 16, 17 to 18. This passage, your Bible should tell you, is not found in the original Greek manuscripts. Most, uh, most scholars think it was added later because of how it's written and what, and, and what it says. But even if it was in the original, if these verses weren't given to us so that we could put on a show and prove our faith, so that we could test God to see if we'd live or die if we, if we drank the poison or got bitten by a snake. They were written to say that God would sometimes miraculously protect his people. And that's exactly what he did. If you remember, Paul had a snake when they were shipwrecked on that island. There was a snake there. He threw it off in the fire and that kind of freaked everybody out. Uh, and so, so there was examples of that in scripture. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says we're to, to accurately, not literally, handle the word of truth. The Bible talks about God uh, gathering us under his wings. It doesn't mean he has wings. He's using a figure of speech. Uh, so so that's, that's, the Bible's full of these figures of speech. Jesus often made points by exaggeration. So we'd say, uh, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. I'll, I'll uh, interpret that. This is a good modern interpretation of that. Because he's not telling us to do it literally. He's using exaggeration to make a point. The disciples would have gotten the point and they would have laughed at the joke. Because it was funny the, how he worded it. So what does that mean? That means if, if your smartphone causes you to sin, get rid of it. That's what it means. Most people who are sinning with their smartphones aren't getting rid of their smartphones because they don't want to quit sinning. Jesus talked about a camel going through the eye of a needle. Well, obviously a camel can't go through the eye of a needle. It was a point made by exaggeration. He talked about moving. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain into the ocean. 
Has anybody ever done that? It never has happened. So obviously he wasn't speaking of something literal. He was, t- he was using this ex- exaggerative language to make big points. Here's the third one. No scripture stands alone apart from the rest of the Bible. You interpret any verse in the Bible by every other verse in the Bible. It all fits. And so uh, this verse has to somehow fit that verse. So if you've been around when I've done my thing on uh, predestination and free choice on Calvinism versus not, uh, not Calvinism, Arminianism, is if you, if you remember that, I kind of lined up right down the middle. And so my interpretation, all the verses fit. If you go over here to five-point Calvinism, you got all kinds of verses that don't even begin to fit that. Yet, same way, if you go over here to full-blown Arminianism, there's a whole bunch of verses don't fit there. See, all of Scripture fits together. So you interpret every verse in the Bible in light of every other verse in the Bible. So let's get going. In your outline, we started last week with Luke 11, 1. Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he had finished, the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Here's some opening thoughts. Just because God did does not mean that he does. Just because God did does not mean that he does. God brought the plagues of Egypt. Hadn't happened since. He dried up the ground on the Red Sea and the Jordan River. As far as I know, hadn't happened since. He fed Israel with manna and quail from heaven. Hadn't happened since. Water from a rock in a desert twice. Hadn't happened since. In Scripture, people are raised from the dead. As far as I know, that hadn't happened when it was literally a resurrection since Jesus. And so those are things that happen. Those are things God can do. But just because God did does not mean that he does. Now, here's one apparent exception. When Emily was little, uh, we had some Fritos that had gone stale. And so rather than throw them away, we decided to throw them out in the backyard. And we did for the birds. And so Emily's a little bitty thing. And she goes out there. She knows the story of the, the manna from heaven. And she goes out there, and she comes in the house. She said, Daddy, Daddy, you won't believe this. He said, you know in the Bible how God rained manna from heaven? And we said, yeah. He said, he's raining corn chips. And uh, so anyway, that's a true story. Just because God did doesn't mean that he does. So if you think, well, he did it once, he'll do it for me. Not necessarily. Number two, just because God did does not mean that he will. It doesn't mean that he will. For example, God flooded the entire earth to judge people. That's something he did, but he'll never do it again. In fact, he gave us a promise in the rainbow, if you remember. Jesus fed thousands of people with a few fishes and loaves. I don't know anybody else who's pulled that off. So just because God did does not mean that he will now or in the future. Number three, just because God can does not mean that he will. Just because God can does not mean that he will. A lot of naive Christians will say, well, God can do anything. You're exactly right. He can. But have you noticed how much he doesn't do? It's pretty staggering. It's pretty staggering. Jot down Jeremiah 32, 17. There it says that there's nothing too difficult for God. Actually, he says it again another way in another verse, asking it a question. Is anything too difficult for me? Now, put in your outline, Psalm 115.3, it appears again. It says, God, it, it, I've left out the words, is in the heavens, and says he does whatever he pleases. Now, it's in the Bible, is that true? Well, yeah, it's true. 
God does whatever he pleases. So the question has to be asked, or the, the thought has to be made, it apparently doesn't please God to do a lot of things. There's a lot of things we can think of that God could do that God does not do. God could stop the war in the, between Russia and Ukraine right now, couldn't he? I mean, sure, that'd be nothing to him. There's all kinds of things God can do that God does not do. So if, if God does whatever he pleases, and he does, then it must please him not to do a lot of things. God can save everybody. He could do that, but he's chosen not to. God could make you obey him, but he's chosen not to. God could micromanage every detail of your life, but he doesn't. He macromanages it and allows you to micromanage it. Now, now let's talk about prayer. I've, I want to give you nine conditions or factors in prayer. This is so important. Because here's what happens. Too many people get in, get in a problem and they, 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 of course, they're gonna pray. They're gonna pray. And they, they pray thinking that whatever I want, God is going to do for me. And then God doesn't do what they want him to do. And now they're disappointed with, disillusioned with, mad at God because he didn't do what he thought they wanted to do. A lot of people think prayer, and we're going to go through all these verses, it's like a magic lamp. And if you rub the magic lamp, you get whatever you want. You're going to see that is just not the case. So I want you to think tonight. You're going to have to think. So here's, here's the, there are nine factors in prayer in the New Testament. Number one is asking, asking. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. So we need to ask. There's nothing wrong with asking. Somebody asked me Sunday morning, is it, is it wrong to pray for somebody to be healed? Of course it's not. It's just wrong to think that God will answer it and do what we want him to do since we ask. That's where the problem is. There's nothing wrong with God praying and asking God to heal people. And sometimes he does. So asking is the first condition, factor. Number two is persistence. Persistence. In Matthew 7, 7 to 8, it says, Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it shall be open. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He, and to him who knocks, it will be open. Now, if you know, the, if you've probably heard a message on this in the past, and this is one somebody will tell you what the Greek says, what it literally says, if you keep on asking, if you keep on seeking, and if you keep on knocking. It's not saying you did it once, you keep at it. It's talking about persistence. So persistence is important in prayer. But does that mean that if I ask God to give me something I want, and I ask him over and over and over, and I keep on asking him, then I'm going to get it? If you think it does, try this in the real world. I promise you it won't work. It won't work. That's not what he's talking about. But persistence is important. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 to 21, Daniel has prayed a prayer. God has sent the answer to the prayer with an angel, and the angel has been held back by a demon. He calls him a prince for 21 days. And so the implication is, had Daniel not persisted in prayer through those 21 days, he would not have gotten his answer. He had to keep praying. He had to be persistent. So, all we have to do is keep on asking, we get whatever we want? Well, no, there must be more to it than that. Number three. The third thing is, is proper motives. Proper motives. 
So in James 4, 3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And then he tells us what those are so that you may spend it on your, on your pleasures. You ask for yourself. What you're asking for is selfish. So sometimes our prayers aren't answered because they're selfish prayers that are driven by what we want, not God's will. God's will for us is what will help us. Being out of God's will can hurt us. We often want something we shouldn't want, and God cares about us too much to give it to us. So the same thing as a parent. You're a parent. And so let's say you can give your children the things they ask for. Now, when I was growing up, we, a lot of us got, ended up with BB guns, but how many of you heard this? If you get a BB gun, I ain't going to get you a BB gun, you'll shoot your brother's eye out. You know, I don't know of any kid who got his eye shot out by his brother, but it was legendary, okay? Hear that kind of thing all the time. But a lot of other things, you know, are you going to give your kid a motorcycle? If so, how old are they going to have to be and how mature they're going to have to be before you do it? If you're a good parent, you don't get kids stuff because they want it. You get kids stuff because it'll be good for them, helpful to them, and beneficial. And so it doesn't matter if you can afford it. That's not, that's not the point. The point is you care about this kid. Your job is not just to protect them from other people who would harm them. Your job is to protect them from themselves. And so that's why I like to like, when should your child date? Well, you got to figure that out because you got to protect that child from, them, from themselves. So proper motives. In Matthew 6, it tells us that God gives us what we need when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things will be added to you. Romans 8, 26, we'll go back to this later, tells us that we don't know how to pray as we should. If we knew what to want, we would always want what God wants for us. If we knew what to want, we'd always want what God wants for us. But we don't always know what we want, according to Romans 8, 26. And so we don't always want what God wants for us. So, so persistence is matters, asking matters. We've got to have proper motives if we want God to answer our prayers. Now, here's number four. Number four is believing. Believing. Matthew eleven twenty two 22 to 24, have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he, is, what he says is going to happen, it'll be granted him. All things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them, and they will be granted you. Okay? Now, if you take that verse literally, again, if you can convince yourself to believe it, you get it. You can throw a mountain in the sea. You can throw the Smokies in the Atlantic. Just kind of that thing, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. Kind of sounds like a, uh, a sales pitch here. But the reality is that there's more to it than that, isn't there? There's got to be more to it than that. Because we pray and, 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 and we believe that what we're praying is good and we, and we ask God for it, but we don't get it. And James 4, 6 tells us to ask without doubting. So praying, believing matters. So can we just believe God for whatever we want and get it? If so, none of us would have any relationship, health, or financial problems. Agreed? I mean, if we can believe God and get what we want, ask, get, believe, get what we want, we'd none of us have any problems. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But it's not reality. There's obviously more to it than that. I put this in your outline. Faith starts with God's will, not my wishes and wants. Biblical faith doesn't start with what I want. 
what I want to happen. Biblical faith starts with what God wants, with what God wants to happen. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now the Greek word translated word here is not the typical word logos, it's a different word. It's a noun that's used usually when it's a spoken word. It's more than just a, a word on a page. It's when God through his spirit makes his written word real to us and makes it come alive. For example, how many of you came to Christ the first time you heard the gospel? Okay, okay one, one person. I'm surprised we have one. How many of you heard it maybe a hundred times before you ever came to Christ? If you grew up in church, you probably heard a hundred, you may have heard a thousand times. But one day, all of a sudden the lights came on, didn't it? One day it wasn't just the preacher rattling off words, one day it was, you mean God loves me? You mean Christ died for me? One day it became alive to you. That's what this word means, the Greek word rhema, rather than the word logos. It's when God's word becomes real to us. So last week we talked about prayer is not just talking to God, it's talking with God. We talked about sitting still in the presence of God so God could prompt us. And he prompts us according to his will, and then we ask him for what he wants to do. Not we go in there rushing and asking for what we want him to do for us. I'll come back to that more here in a moment. So real believing, genuine faith is not me believing what I want God to do. It's me believing that God will do what he wants to do. My faith isn't in my ability to believe. My faith is in God, what God wants to do. So I'm not twisting God's arm when I pray and when I believe. I'm joining him. Remember if you uh, did the Henry Blackaby study, uh, Experiencing God, he said, find out what God's doing and join him. That's what prayer is. Prayer isn't me getting a bunch of ideas and talking God into doing them. Prayer is me getting in the presence of God, figure out what God's doing, and I get in on it. I join him. He doesn't join me, I join him. I'm not getting him to do what I want him to do. I'm getting in on what he wants to do. So that's where believing is. See, when you really believe, biblical believing is something that is you just have that God gives you. It's not something you work yourself up to. I believe it, I believe it. I, you know, like in Wizard of Oz, I do believe in spooks, I do believe in spooks, I do believe in spooks. It's not how it works. You don't talk yourself up and, well, if I keep talking myself into it, eventually I'll believe. No, believing just happens because it's God's will. It's what happened when you got saved, didn't it? All of a sudden, one day, it just happened. You believed it. It was real. It was true to you. So believing is one of the conditions, one of the factors in answer prayer. Here's number five, is agreeing with others. Agreeing with others. I think we talked about this last week a little. Matthew 18, 19 says, If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may, they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. So all we've got to do is get two or three people and agree, and we get what we want? Well, obviously, there's more to it than that. That's a condition. Praying with others apparently matters. But it doesn't mean two people can get together, decide what they want, and now God has to do it. We'd all say, well, that makes plenty of sense. Here's a great example of that. Several years ago, this is on Facebook, Google News, USA, it was actually an article in USA Today. They reported of a two-year-old girl who stopped breathing and died in California. Her mom was a worship leader at a Bethel church there. 
The family and the church prayed for her, this child's resurrection. They put it out on the internet. So probably there were thousands of people praying and quote, believing God for this child to be raised from the dead. Her name was Olive. And so they prayed and they believed and she wasn't. She wasn't. Well, I thought if two people agreed, what if a thousand people agree that this is what we want? Isn't God supposed to do it if a thousand of us want it? People did give them $57,000 in a GoFundMe thing, but their believing wasn't enough and their agreeing wasn't enough. So what do you do with that? What do you do with this? If you think you can believe and get whatever you want, or if you agree with others in prayer and therefore can get whatever you want, then option one, little Olive gets raised from the dead. Option two, the Bible isn't true. Option three, those two conditions aren't enough separately or together to get God to do your will on earth. I will tell you number three again. Option three is those two conditions separately, believing and or agreeing, or together, believing and agreeing, are not enough to, together even to get God to do your will on earth. And there is the kicker. Prayer's not about getting your will done on earth. Prayer's about getting God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember the disciples' prayer? That changes everything, doesn't it? Now, I think it honors God to ask him to do his will. But I don't think it honors God when we try to box him into doing ours. Okay, God, I'm believing, I'm behaving, I'm giving, I'm serving. You got to do this for me. No. That's what Peter tried to do in Matthew 16, 23. Jesus says, go on the cross and, and Peter says, it's not going to happen. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Wouldn't we have all prayed that Jesus wouldn't have died? Of course we would. would we have, wouldn't we have all prayed and agreed that we didn't want him to be arrested and, uh, and, and tortured and put to death? Of course we would. And if we had done that, we'd all be lost. He never would have paid for our sins. Prayer is not how you get your will done on earth. It's how you get God's will done on earth. And by the way, miracles don't produce faith. In the story of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus, if you remember the rich man wanted to return to earth because he had brothers and he, he thought, well, if I go back from the dead and tell them about hell, they'll all get saved and won't come here. And uh, Abraham tells him, he said, if they will not, in Luke 16, 31, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So most of us think if we could see miracles, we'd have more faith. You wouldn't. Faith doesn't come by miracles. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema of Christ. And so when God gives you the ability to believe, he's given you the ability to believe in something is true that he wants to do, like save you, and it may be something else. It's not something you have to work up, it's something you find yourself with. And so now you're just believing God to be who he is and do what he said. 
Here's the sixth condition to, uh, to answer prayer. Number six is obedience. Obedience. Listen to these verses, Isaiah 59, 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. James 5, 16. The prayer of a righteous man can't accomplish much. Of a righteous man. So obedience matters, doesn't it? John 9, 31, Jesus said, if anyone's God-fearing and does his will, God hears him. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now put this verse in your outline, 1 John 3, 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So obedience clearly has something to do with answered prayer. But it doesn't mean that if I'm obeying him, now he has to do what I tell him to do, what I want him to do. Doesn't mean that. Because again, that doesn't work. You try that in the real world, it doesn't work. Number seven, being right with others is another condition or factor in answering prayer. Being right with others. So 1 Peter 3, 7 says that a husband's prayers are hindered when he doesn't treat his wife as he should, live with her in an understanding way as a fellow heir of the grace of life. I told our men on the marriage streets this past weekend, if you're not a good husband, you're not a good Christian. You can't be a, a married and be a good Christian if you're not a good husband. You say, well, I'm a good husband. I'm a good Christian. I'm just not a good wife. No, you're not. I'm a good Christian, but I'm not a good mother. No, you're not. You're either both or neither. <laughs> You can't be one. You can't be that. James 12, 18 says that if possible, so far as it depends on us, we're to be at peace with all men. Since it says if possible, it means it isn't always possible. So we're to try to, to be at peace with people, to fix relationships that get broken, but the truth is you can't fix everything that's broken. It takes two people to have a relationship. And if the other person doesn't want to have one, doesn't matter what you do, you can't fix it. Does this make sense? Relationships require two people willing to be in that relationship. Now look at Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So what he's saying is this. If you come to offer worship to God and realize there's a relationship problem you need to fix and have it, you need to leave, you, you don't need to try to worship, you need to go fix that and then come and worship. You've just heard the third episode of the prayer series with Dr. Rocky Ramsey. Join us next time for the finale in this series as Pastor Rocky completes the nine factors in answered prayer followed by four final thoughts. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CoryptonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media. We're at Coryton Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and have a fantastic day.